Welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. I'm Nick Batia. Today, I welcome Elise Colleen. She is a venture capitalist and her firm, Stillmark, invests in some of the top Bitcoin Lightning Network companies in the space. We are delighted to have Elise here today. She is going to give us an idea of what's going on with Lightning Network and the roadmap for Lightning heading into this next bull cycle. Elise, thank you so much for joining us today. It's so great to be with you, Nick. Um, I, we've known each other for quite a while, and it's always fun to catch up on how the ecosystem's evolving. Excellent. Elise, let's start with your view of Lightning Network. Where are we today with Lightning, and how does it compare to where we were last cycle with Lightning? Just give us an idea of what you're seeing. Wonderful. So we're in a really exciting spot with Lightning Network today because what has happened between cycles is that builders in the field, including those in our portfolio, have gathered data from being in market with protocols and products and been able to discern product market fit and what users are asking for potential users will need to further adopt and integrate with Lightning. In the interim between bull markets, we've had a time to build and to adopt both protocols, infrastructure apps for the needs in our target markets. And so the opportunity in this cycle is, is multifold, but what we are really paying attention to is how protocols, the new protocols that have been introduced to meet market needs. And then the infrastructure, the sort of middleware pieces almost, that have matured and begun to come to market in order to allow enterprise to adopt or financial institutions to engage. And so I think that will make um, sort of a good base for our conversation today um, because we anticipate that much of the adoption we see in Lightning will be a reflection of those efforts by portfolio companies and other others in the space to respond to market feedback. The Bitcoin layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. Now, River is a Bitcoin-only exchange. That means there's no confusion when you go there. They allow you to deposit and withdraw via Lightning Network. They have a zero-fee recurring purchase order feature. And what we love the most about River is not only do they encourage you to get self-custody, but they're there to help educate you on self-custody and everything there is to know about Bitcoin. Go check them out today, river.com slash TBL. Okay, so well, let's start with infrastructure. What is Bitcoin really most used for today? It's as a type of money, a money tool, a, a tool that people are using to trade between their home currency and a decentralized digital currency. Long story short here, exchanges have been the biggest businesses in Bitcoin since Bitcoin's founding. So where is Lightning Network now starting to play into the exchange business? Yes, that, so that's exactly right. But I want to caveat that to say that exchanges are a big business and have clear product market fit in developed markets and in um, communities of privilege and greater wealth. 
And one of the areas that we saw Lightning Network really click in as early as the last cycle was in emerging markets. And there's, it's important to make this distinction because the developers have and have advanced protocols in response. But what we saw in the last cycle, in particular with state adoption um, and El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender, airdrop of Bitcoin to their citizens that was a wonderful opportunity for Lightning Network builders to test product market fit. What would people want to do if they had Bitcoin and access to Lightning? And what access to Lightning was shown to mean for people in developing markets and in lower socioeconomic status communities was that it was an opportunity to have access for the first time to more sophisticated banking tools it was a way to extend um, extend their financial activity to family members that existed remotely from them. And it was also a way to operate more efficiently in their day to day. So meaning even at the corner store or in taking the family out to dinner. But while people in developed markets appreciated and benefited from Bitcoin's volatility or enjoyed playing around with it, what we saw in emerging markets, um, including in El Salvador after the airdrop, was that volatility was a bug to them, not, not a feature. And so really, while the Lightning Network had value to bank people in this new way, to connect people um, more directly and efficiently in this new way, the exposure to Bitcoin's volatility was something that a family that made $400 a month and had expenses that ranged between $380 a month and $420 a month could not tolerate. And so with that information, what Lightning Labs did was they went back um, to the whiteboard and invented, Lalu, the CTO of Lightning Labs, invented a new protocol called Taproot Assets. And ultimately what Taproot Assets will allow when we expect to see this year is stable coins to transact on Lightning Network. So it's the same benefits of Lightning Network, this instant um, settlement, this um, nearly free cost of transaction, this open network in which all can participate. You could still have those same properties without needing to tolerate Bitcoin's volatility and where we expect that to be most relevant is in emerging markets. It's not just Lightning Labs that recognized this, it was other companies including those in our portfolio like Ibex, which operates natively out of Latin America. The founding group is from Central America and really knows well enterprise and retail um, users in those geographies. And ahead of Taproot Assets coming to market um, on Lightning mid later this year, they um, created another model that assured stable balances on the Lightning Network. And we've seen incredible response to that product. And so one of the themes that I expect to drive adoption for Lightning Network this cycle is just that, access to Lightning Network without exposure to Bitcoin's volatility. And so in that scenario, when the users, let's say they're airdropped some Bitcoin, and, and let's say they have this ability to access stable coins via the Lightning Network. Those stable coins are issued by still entities that have bank accounts, right? And so how do you see the ease of 
movement between Bitcoin Lightning Network and stablecoins if the stablecoins themselves are built on Lightning Network rails? How does that compare to just having a wallet with some with access to Tether in it? Mm -hmm. um, that's a great question. There's a couple important points to make here that um, one around innovation for stable denominated balances, both wallet balances and channel balances, but two about the de-risking um, of Tether itself, USDT, and what that could mean for this cycle. So let's start there. Recently, over the past couple months, Cantor Fitzgerald has come forward publicly and um, on multiple occasions in the media, including the CEO, to say that most of or much of Tether's treasury is held with Cantor Fitzgerald and they, they can um, assure that Tether's books are as they, as they report them to be. Now, the reason why that's significant is because it de-risks to some degree the use of USDT and the adoption of USDT by enterprise, including enterprise that um, that ultimately reaches consumers. We're seeing in Latin America, for example, that um, enterprise or conglomerates like Grupo Salinas, who's to, who wants to be in the lead here and has taken that position, that once they unlock Lightning, not only will that have value between businesses um, in their broader group, but can also unlock um, the utility within their consumer apps that reach millions of users. And so for a group like that to be comfortable with using stablecoins in any environment, including on a, a more stable and dependable environment like Lightning Network and Bitcoin, they have to know that the stablecoin itself um, uh, grants assurances and ultimate settlement ability back into um, the currency of denomination. And so I expect that um, Tether being de-risked in this way will be meaningful for both stablecoins um, continued adoption in this cycle, but also for the utility and use that stablecoins will have once they're available on Lightning Network, which should happen in the second half of this year. So that's also a tailwind for adoption in this cycle. Now, when we talk about stable balances, whether that be accounts or payment channels on Lightning, we anchor on what already has shown product market fit, which is stable coins like USDT um, in emerging markets and otherwise. There, of course, are other ways to get to these stable denominated balances, and IBEX has taken the lead in LATAM on that. So, um, for example, you can integrate with an exchange in order to do um, a quick swap between a stablecoin, um, excuse me, between Bitcoin and a stablecoin. We've also seen innovation around discrete log contracts, which can be used to um, achieve stable balances within a certain range of volatility on Lightning Network. And so, and we expect to continue to see innovation in those categories and beyond that for achieving stable denominated balances. It's not that um, it's not that so stable coins have shown product market fit. It's not that we're committed for that to be to continue to lead the field in um, in the model that allows the achievement of stable balance.
but it's that it's been the simplest, most frictionless, and also has shown an adequate risk trade-off for that ease of use. Um, however, we're still excited to see other forms of stable balances brought to the market, and that's already been successfully done. And I want to just explain to the audience really quickly here, might be familiar with the concept of stable coins, the concept of Tether, which is this cryptocurrency-like token that moves like a cryptocurrency but is pegged to $1 by a company, and Elise is is suggesting that we should change our framework from stable coins to stable balances because there are other ways to achieve a stable balance without using a centralized cryptocurrency issued by a company such as Tether. And that can be done with discrete law contracts or other sort of applications within the cryptography protocol of Bitcoin, Lightning Network, or other sort of Bitcoin adjacent technologies. So we'll get, I might ask a little bit more about stable balances, but I want to shift a little bit to thinking about Lightning Network adoption. And when I pulled up the top nodes in the network very recently, you see Kraken up there and you see you know, you see BitMEX up there, you see the, a couple of these large exchanges up there. So, you know, I'm sure that you also are looking at top nodes and how that has evolved through time. How do you interpret that Kraken is one of the largest nodes out there? And how does that drive your investment thesis toward Lightning Network companies? That's a great question. So first of all, um, Exchanges have a clear and acute need for Lightning Network for the efficiencies that Lightning Network creates in payments, and it's useful for exchanges um, in in um, in interfacing, onboarding and offboarding Bitcoin um, with their user base. So. Lightning Network has a really interesting growth trajectory or projected growth trajectory in that those with acute need have started using Lightning Network. We've seen really significant growth. We've seen um, you know, clear product market fit, but there's a network effect to Lightning Network. Um, and so while we are, um, and the power of that network effect will have implications on the pace of adoption and the types of groups, um, enterprises, and financial institutions that feel the need to adopt or that see the balance between pain and reward, um, you know, favoring the reward of adopting Lightning Network. So um, while exchanges have adopted and received benefit from Lightning Network, what we're looking towards now is the impact of enterprise tools coming to market to allow other large businesses to get the value of Lightning Network as well. Um, it makes sense that a group like Kraken would have the sophistication to adopt Lightning Network without needing to accept or tolerate the risk that can come with a new payment um, technology. Now, other businesses, those that are not crypto or Bitcoin native like Kraken is, can also get this 10x, 100x upgrade um, in their payment operations by using Lightning. However, 
they're unlikely to do that at the cost of payment reliability, of degrading the payment experience for their um, their transaction partner, whether that be um, somewhat a retail user or a business partner. And they're certainly not going to adopt Lightning if that puts them at risk of um, of breaking their own sort of guidelines and um, and frameworks for how they operate payments, including um, compliance with government regulations. And um, they will not take those risks. And so what's been really exciting to see and will have very significant impact in this cycle is companies like Voltage or like Amboss and Amboss as the data layer to the Lightning Network that have introduced tools that can allow enterprise to adopt Lightning without having to degrade the payment experience or to accept risks of, um, of payments that are out of compliance with government standards. And so what I mean by that is, can you use the Lightning Network and make sure that you are not interacting with, um, with a node in a country that um, you know, would raise a flag with regulators. Um, and, and this sort of exists outside of um, an enterprise's, um, you know, even sort of like ethical standards on what a payment process should or may entail. It's just about the being able to maintain efficient business operations while getting the benefits of the Lightning Network. And it's inefficient to be flagged for breach of um, breach within your payment operations. And so being able to simulate your payments in order to assure reliability, being able to set payment operations so that you know that you know the regions or the characteristics of the nodes that you will interact with in processing a payment is just sort of um, base scenario. It's what an enterprise must have in order to adopt. And so we expect that in this cycle and with those tools, enterprise will be will finally be able to adopt Lightning or early movers in enterprise will be able to adopt Lightning and integrate it in a meaningful way. And you, the two companies you mentioned are Voltage, a former sponsor of the Bitcoin layer and a company that we're definitely familiar with, providing infrastructure to companies that want to traffic in Bitcoin using the Lightning Network and don't want to do it themselves. And the other company, Amboss, which has used a portion of my original thesis about Lightning Network, which is that as capital moves through the Lightning Network, those that are moving it will earn money, Bitcoin denominated, without any counterparty, merely just the institution of payment channels. And Amboss is now basically has live a live product magma which allows you to traffic in the channels themselves because the channels themselves have utility because they allow you to move money through the lightning network so talk to us a little bit what you can about amboss and why you invested in them and maybe just some high level thoughts on that company and what they're doing so Amboss is, was a very exciting investment for us, and we've been able to um, be there as the company 
grew and um, both helped advance the Lightning Network and then themselves responded dynamically to the stages the Lightning Network has matured through. So when we joined AMBOSS, it was really the, a social and data layer for the Lightning Network. It was a way to understand which nodes you should connect to. And of course, there's an expense um, in growing your network in the Lightning Network. It's an investment. And to be able to understand how to grow your presence in the Lightning space in a way that made sense um, was something that AMBOSS could support. And so that's what they did. Um, and they did this, of course, from the base of being um, the founder of Thunderhub as well, right? And so they did this from sort of a very experienced um, Lightning Native foundation. Now, what AMOS has done as the Lightning Network has matured is to think about what all users of the Lightning Network, both current and future, will need from a data perspective in order to um, grow their community in a healthy way, to grow their business in Lightning in a healthy way. And so while that, um, you know, meant a couple of years ago, having a social profile on Lightning so that when you were forming new peer relationships, you could advertise the character of your node, um, you know, what could be expected in your management of the node and find people that, that could benefit from that and vice versa. AMOS is now ahead of and leading the, um, the movement of small businesses and enterprises entering the space in a way that allows them to grow community in a safe and efficient way. And as I said a moment ago, to have the tools that allow them to onboard with Lightning without degrading their payment operations. Um, and so that's meant, in addition to providing data analytics tool, that's meant providing uh, liquidity, as you noted before, with Magma Marketplace. It's meant automating node and payment operations with products like Hydro. And all of this is connected in that it allows you to simply come to Lightning to provide your sort of use case and form of utility to AMBOSS. And then to have some of the friction of, um, of Lightning operations sort of smoothed out through these software tools. Um, it's, enabling, it's an enabling layer um, or technology really for Lightning. Um, you said, I think a, a moment ago that Voltage is a um, software tool that allows businesses to come to Lightning when they don't want to run nodes themselves. And I wanted to point out something interesting and I think definitional to Voltage is that it does a bit more than that in that it allows businesses to come to Lightning without committing to the way that they will want to manage um, their node in perpetuity. And so it, Voltage sort of says, let us know where you're at as a business, what internal resources you want to dedicate to Lightning. Um, for example, do you have a DevOps team that's going to want to, on the day-to-day, -day, manage and oversee your infrastructure? Or is this something that you um, that the business plans to take a more hands-off approach to? Voltage can meet a business really where they are. And so this has been really useful for Lightning startups in that they can come to Voltage and um, and you know, sort of find a partner that's responsive to their stage of development. 
But what we expect to see is it be very useful for enterprise as well. So if an enterprise is looking for, you know, sort of API access to an LSP, full service model, they can get that at Voltage. But what we expect to see from enterprises that come to Lightning is that while they may start there, there may be, there will likely be business pressures or shareholder pressures that enterprise take more control of their infrastructure and that Voltage can respond to that and allow them to take more control and oversight of their nodes with Voltage will be really important for those, those companies. It allows you to sort of test out, get your legs underneath you from a lightning um, operations uh, perspective, and then to mature your practice in lightning and take more control of your nodes. And so that voltage exists is really important for enterprise adoption. And we'll start, we'll, we'll continue to see that this cycle. Now, I want to take a moment and just remind people here that Elise, Elise here is a venture capitalist. She has a portfolio of companies that she's invested in. We're bringing her on the Bitcoin layer today because the companies that she's invested in, not just to give each company a little bit of airtime and what they're doing in an advertisement, but the goal of the conversation here is to dive into Lightning Network and who's using it. Because who's using it? The people that are actually buying Lightning Network services from companies that Elise is invested in. So I want to step back and, and just from a high level, Elise, what you're seeing with Lightning Network development, you are in, you are in the weeds. You are invested in Lightning Network infrastructure companies. But from a high level, talk to people that might not be familiar with the Lightning Network when you see the second layer protocol being built on top of Bitcoin with hundreds of worth, um, worthwhile companies to vet when you're trying to make investments, what does it tell us about Bitcoin as a protocol being locked in for the future? You know, this is something that I tried to explain as well. When we have another protocol being built on Bitcoin, and that other protocol is starting to see the energy, the development, the network effects that Lightning Network is. What does it tell us about Bitcoin? What does it tell you about Bitcoin? I, so thank you for suggesting that we take a step back. I'd love to do that. Um, I don't want to seem as though we're advertising particular companies. Um, but let me say this. So one of the really exciting things that's happening now is that we are moving from um, we are moving from an early adopters within the Bitcoin space using Lightning to um, companies that are not native Bitcoin using Lightning, and to crypto companies wanting to integrate Lightning. So, if in the last cycle the story was really about Bitcoin companies using Lightning or experimenting with Lightning to do a variety of things, whether that was rewards, whether that was paying remote workers, um, whether that was helping drive uh, traction and connection in a chat app, those tests have been done and we have feedback that we can incorporate both for investment purposes and for innovation purposes. 
But what's happening in this cycle is that we're we're moving beyond that so that the group, the community that uses Lightning is becoming more diversified. So if we had Bitcoiners using Lightning, we've started to see crypto companies using Lightning. So uh, what I mean by that is um, companies that are using multiple protocols to do a variety of things, um, including payments, needing to feeling like they need to adopt Lightning. And then we're also seeing enterprise and financial institutions look at adopting Lightning. And that's purely to get the value proposition that the network offers, which is this instant and nearly free transactions. And the nearly free part unlocks a whole new sort of um, utility that can be achieved in digital payments because it unlocks micropayments. There's also some, some smart contracting features that are possible on Lightning, like split payments, and that, that further sort of um, broadens what can be done with digital payments. And so um, every, all of the groups that I just mentioned are looking to take advantage of that. Now, this, this, these new entrants to the Lightning space are coming into a really already dynamic community. So we know that at the end of, or in Q3, 2023, that the number of monthly um, active users on the network was approximately 700,000. We had seen um, an over 1,200% 24-month growth in the number of transactions routed. Um, monthly transaction volume came in at, at nearly $800 million. And the network was really already, um, you know, sort of on fire from an adoption perspective. Now, adding into that, we will see new use um, of the Lightning Network from those that will be using it, not because they're committed to Bitcoin specifically, but because they get value from the underlying protocol in terms of their payment operations. And so when you can continue to achieve this 99.9% payment reliability that companies like Amboss allow, then you can start to think about how can we have quicker um, payment, especially in including cross-border payments, or how can we reduce the cost of our payment operations? There's another piece here um, which sort of links to broader um, technology trends, and that is the financialization um, of apps and um, businesses in general. And so it's, we've seen this competition around whether an app can deepen their connection with their user base by offering these sort of financial capabilities within the app. And, and because there's this trend of consumers app, consumer apps moving in that direction, um, and the, the possibility to do that with Lightning Network and sort of this seamless digital experience that doesn't require, um, you know, necessarily a deep integration with the user's um, bank account or personal details. It, you know, it, it sort of it unlocks a lot of what can be built in the in the digital um, uh, payment space and can unleash creativity, not just for Bitcoin builders, but also for those that are really just looking to have a good, offer a good or creative payments experience for users, um, you know, that interface with them for reasons other than, you know, those that are Bitcoin driven. Um, and so it's been a really dynamic time, not just in terms of adoption, but in terms of design as well. 
And because the protocols are in place to be responsive to that, you know, it's been, um, it's been sort of a really, um, you know, incredibly like catalytic, catalytic period. Um, I feel like I said a, a lot there, Nick, let me know if there's anything we should dive into. No, I, I think that it's, it's really important to bring it back to explain to people why we are so enthusiastic about Lightning Network. And there's nobody better than Elise to tell us about some of these companies. And I find when I learn about companies and what the companies are doing and that those companies are hiring more people, they have demand from their customers, that that tells me something about the market. And I'm always trying to gain the information about the market. And what I see in Lightning Network is just this design forward thinking that you're talking about and changing the user experience of money itself. Forget Bitcoin. Use Lightning and understand how amazing it can be to use this type of money on the internet. And oh, by the way, it's powered by this thing called Bitcoin, which is a decentralized currency. It's really important to think about those things. And it reminds me of the original Andreas Antonopoulos Lightning Network speech that I watched so many years ago, which described Lightning Network potentially as streaming money. And it didn't exist yet. We were still in the SegWit phase of the Lightning Network history, so pre-Lightning. But thinking of Bitcoin, I mean, sorry, thinking of using Bitcoin with Lightning Network as streaming money is not native to Bitcoin. It's not something you can do with Bitcoin. It is something you can do with Lightning. And if we can explain Lightning as a new use case of money or a new type of way to use money, as you're saying, Elise, then that can break down a lot of walls that we previously had with Bitcoin because the critique of Bitcoin is that it's slow and clunky, which is necessary and good, but it precludes all these other use cases. And I think that's where that's where you are right now in thinking about lightning and 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 the growth. Is that accurate? That's exactly right. And let me mention another protocol coming from Lightning Labs, um, but open source, of course, which is L402. And Nick, I imagine that you're familiar with this, but when we talk about streaming money, we have to talk about L402 because essentially what that is, is it's a way to append small amount of data to a payment. And what that does ultimately is unlock um, this, you know, the potential of the web to be able to exchange data or access um, in small denominations of value so that, you know, the web becomes more open. And this arrives at a time, this is on mainnet, this arrives at a time when consumer AI is taking off. And the very interesting thing about this is that we, because we all have access to chat GPT, we think that it's easy and open. And in fact, it's not. And that's really a result of um, chargeback risk in credit cards and that there's a cost for open AI to allow access to chat GPT. And so this chargeback risk is really an incredible pain point. Um, and, you know, a lot of people and businesses, in fact, don't have access or are gated as a result 
L402 can solve that problem. You know, to give you a very small example um, that's related to a very large TAM is that you could, with L402, you can pay per API call and not have to worry about the chargeback risks that are inherent to credit card products. And so I offer this as an example because sometimes it's hard to understand what the value of streaming payments might be. But what the value of streaming payments is for a company like OpenAI is access to global demand and um, getting paid for the resources they expend when ChatGPT answers a question. So there's really very significant implications here. And, and, you know, and the fact that there's a network effect and lightning network means that early adopters will be those with the, the most acute pain. But once an inflection point is reached, the pain will be in not adopting lightning. And so part of what will happen in this cycle is getting closer or reaching that, that change point, that inflection point where if you're not integrated with Lightning as a business or as a user, you lack access to the same size um, TAM as your competitors have. It's almost as if the AI boom is bringing about the understanding that we've had for many years, which is that global money that doesn't have payment processing companies at the fulcrum, but instead at the edges, that the the current way that we do payment processing via credit cards is an inferior way to conduct global online money to Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. So Lightning Network potentially unlocking the web and the way we use the web uh, in, on a, in a truly global sense. Uh, it's really fascinating. And I think that we should all think about Lightning Network as an accelerant for Bitcoin technology. And the way that we access a billion people is through more technologies built on top of Bitcoin, not just with Bitcoin itself. Elise Colleen, thank you so much for joining us today at the Bitcoin Layer. Please give our audience where they can find you online and maybe some of the things to watch out for. Our website is stillmark.com and we are we are around sort of hidden on Twitter, but my first and last name is my handle and Stillmark is at hello stillmark on Twitter. It is always wonderful to connect with entrepreneurs building in the space, um, regardless of how early they may be in their process. And we are just really grateful to be operating in the space and especially at the period we're at, which is um, one, a very broad design space and where founders have an opportunity for real cultural impact. And so it's great to walk through that with you today, Nick. I appreciate your time. Um, and your insights here. Of course. And we look forward, Elise, to having you back on the Bitcoin layer um, later this year. And maybe you can update us on what's going on with these stable balances, L402, and other Lightning Network innovations. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll catch you guys next time. Wonderful. The Bitcoin layer is proud to be sponsored by River. 
Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. Now, the reason that we love River is that they are a Bitcoin only exchange. There's no confusion when you go there on what you're buying. But really importantly about River is that they do not use a third party custodian. They have their own multi-signature solution. That means that when you buy Bitcoin on River, that Bitcoin is not being stored by another party. River is storing it in their own multi-signature way and they encourage you to get your Bitcoin into your own self-custody and help with educational resources on that front. Go check them out today, river.com slash TBL.